This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. We want to hear from you right now. Text us at 918-262-5072. Hey, question before we get to Eli. What the hell was Anthony Davis doing last night? I'll be honest, I don't even know what happened. Like that basketball game was was drunk, if we're being honest. Right, bro. Not that it was an overwhelming amount of contact, but still contact nonetheless. What's incredible about that is that the Lakers gift wrap that for Minnesota to give them another opportunity and Minnesota gift wrap that for the Lakers in general last night still found a way to blow it I don't even know what I watched last night to be honest did anyone else though do the quick when he fouled out loud after that happened just pointing at the TV like the what is that the uh, Leo gif that's on Twitter where he's pointing at the TV like I felt like I was I was doing that as I was watching the replays last night. Sitting there it's with like, a beer oh in your hand. Oh my gosh, what in the world is happening here? <laughs> not great, not great at all. No, it was not. And if the Thunder can find a way to win tonight, they will be off to face the Timberwolves. It's two oh four. Let's hit up the hotline and welcome in one Eli Letterman joining us now here on the Blitz eleven seventy. What is up, Eli? How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Can I give a slight Anthony Davis defense? Not a sure. not a vehement, but I think all right. Watching that play, waiting for the inbound, I thought first they were going to get a five second violation. Yep. I didn't know who they were going to give it to. You had Cat come up to the top. Didn't know who the right option was, and then suddenly they had this maybe well um, diagrammed play to, to have Mike Conley wide open in the corner. I think it caught everyone by surprise, and that's how you get AD kind of lunging over there there's no and doubt committing committing still a pretty stupid foul but I, I will give him a little bit of a defense there because i think uh i think they drew something up really nice i'm uh, giving them i'm giving them a lot of credit for the draw up and the design on that because if that's created that way in order to have someone try to uh quickly flash the corner uh to get a hand in someone's face like the the chances are i know with his length and everything else but you might take your chances uh, with something like that, that he might not be able to rotate and get over there as quickly. So, yes, uh, with that said, though, even though there wasn't a lot of contact, like, dude, you can't touch him in that moment. <laughs> like, don't even yeah, give yeah. don't even give them an opportunity to uh, to make that call. And it was only the second best pass in, like, the 30 seconds that preceded it, that LeBron drive and to, to attract, like, three, four defenders, and then you just kick it out was, Maybe nicer than any LeBron buzzer beater I can think of in the last five years. Yeah, and then Minnesota goes college basketball on us and misses 11 consecutive shots in a row before finally Anthony Edwards got a dunk with like two minutes left in overtime. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty insane uh, to watch last night for sure. Uh, all right, Eli, real quickly before we talk about anything else, we played a brief bit of audio from Patty. That was yesterday or Monday. Um I love the fact, and she has done this before, you know, the midweek SEC game with Patty Gasso taking her Sooners on the road in some very hostile environments. Doesn't get any more hostile than LSU. And I think last night was another example. 
that Oklahoma can win in so many different ways, even on a night in which the offense isn't working quite as well. You take advantage of some mistakes. But, man, that staff, and you can talk about them as much as you want to on the offensive side, but and, and even when you bring up how good the overall rotation is, you still can't heap enough praise on them. And last night was another prime example of that because Jordy Ball was flat out dealing last night. What an absolute stud performance from her on the road at LSU. You're exactly right. And that's, this pitching staff is, is staggering. I, I wrote about it probably a month ago, and I don't think anything's changed. I mean, if, if you ask me, and, and there's different ways to manage this, but if you ask me, come, tournament time you know big 12 tournament and then women's college world series in oklahoma city assuming they reach there i don't know who you start game one and and how you you sort of uh configure the rotation because you'd have a hard time picking who who the best pitcher of these three are i mean on 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 their day alex rock or nicole may might be the best and last night though shorty ball lights out on a night they needed it like you said the offense wasn't overwhelming per usual they still got plenty but it's that pitching that makes them so dangerous. And I think if you think back to, what, two weekends ago now, that game against Texas where they were trailing, the pitching helped keep them in it. They were in that game and in a position for the offense to finally wake up in the seventh, seventh inning only because the pitching kept them in it. So even on the days that you can shut this offense down a little bit, the pitching is just overwhelming, and it's why the Sooners continue to be overwhelming and go there to Baton Rouge last night and, and really just go about their business. So LSU tried that quick change pitching strategy <laughs> that we've seen a couple of times. Uh, four different Tiger pitchers last night, and OU, as you said, kind of struggled on it. And they've they've seen this before, but that seems to be somewhat of a, hey, we're just trying to do anything we can against this stacked lineup to see if it can give us any amount of momentum. I think that's perhaps what you have to do. Unless you can attack OU – uh, in the way that, that Oklahoma State might be able to with a Kelly Maxwell, and we're talking about you know just some of the most prolific pitchers in the country, you probably got to try just about anything else because this this offense has proven that they can hit just about anybody. And so trying to break up the rhythm and, and throw different things at them I, I think is your best bet. Uh, but then again, last night you still give up three runs and, and the pitching is good enough you can't score any. So it might be your, your best shot. It doesn't mean it's going to get teams anywhere uh others haven't gone before no it doesn't at all and uh 29 in a row man and i i remember earlier this year when they had that loss and i had even text plank at the time i was like man i know they lost a game but people need to calm the hell down this is a long season he was like hey that's the level of expectation that's that's been put in play around here is that when you have a team like this and even that they lose and it's so funny to look back and even think about that moment after winning 29 in a row now but it uh it, it just reeks of the level of expectation and excellence uh, that has surrounded the program now for quite some time, even with having one loss in the early portion of a season, Eli. And it's, it's why, you know, not just reaching Oklahoma city, but, you know, perhaps claiming a third national title is not in a a row uh, is not certainly, I'm sure that's part of the expectation, but they're not seeing it as a given within those walls. But I think it's why, um, you know, externally, the, the talk around this program remains just head and shoulders above. Uh, I think we're going to get a, a really exciting series between them and Oklahoma State in mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. Yeah. But they have uh, beyond that, you know, one afternoon in February at, at Baylor, like you mentioned, 
they've done nothing to show that they've slipped. In fact, you could argue maybe they're as dominant as they've been. Um, and so it, it looks like we're perhaps headed for a similar story to what we've seen. But we all know in, in Oklahoma City, first week of June, crazy things can happen. All right, let's shift to uh, football for a bit. What's What's been the latest? What's been coming out of Norman there on the football front? I know that it was a, a big recruiting weekend last weekend as well, but what are some of the st- top storylines right now as we inch closer to the spring game coming up? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of getting to that point at spring camp where we've, we've sort of hit on everything big. So you, you take the, the little interesting bits you can get. And, and this week I really enjoyed the, the time we got with Todd Bates, defensive line coach and, um, you know, certainly one of Brent Venable's most trusted assistants. They were together a long time at Clemson before coming to Norman. And and I think, you know, we've heard so much about them talking about physicality and, and point of attack and all those things this defense really didn't do a year ago. And, and the stats are, are incredible. We've gone through some of the defensive numbers before, but the fact that they had 13 sacks in, in conference play last year after 13 in the first three weeks um, speaks to a defensive line that was thin and, and ultimately – not physical enough, they've, they've said, to, to do what they want to do. And now they feel like they've got that. And, and talking to Todd Bates and hearing him really just run through the defensive line, the guys they've added, Trace Ford, Rondell Bothroy, Jacob Lacey, Devon Sears, and then throwing them in with familiar names, Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, uh, Jordan Kelly, Isaiah Coe. They're more robust up front, and, and really their whole feeling is they want to create a whole lot more pressure um, from, from all angles, up the middle, from the edge, everywhere, than they did a year ago. And, you know, that, that's what you want to hear if you're an OU fan is that a defense they feel they the defense they feel they want to execute. They feel like they've got uh, personnel that's a whole lot more equipped to do it now. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask. And I, I think you have to you have to preface this question that I would ask in terms of where they're at at this point this year compared to last year. I, that's unfair because of right. The caliber of player that they have now that is more based to play this style of defense. I mean, they they went and did all of their hard work to try to find those guys to run a specific style. That's the reason why they're going to be further along at this point than what they were last year. Yeah, that's right. But you know, the the attention will obviously go to, to guys like Trace Ford and Rondell Bothroyd and and a Notre Dame transfer like Jacob Lacey. But even if we talk about the returners, I mean, uh, ask Todd Bates about uh, Jordan Kelly and the things they're doing differently from last year to this year with him. You know, Todd Bates kind of laid out that with every guy on his defensive line at the end of the season, he had this quote-unquote inventory, this, you know, deep dive into what they had to work on and improve on. Uh, And so he's done that with Jordan Kelly. He's done that with Isaiah Coe. They've moved Jonah Leulu. This is, I think, one of the more intriguing kind of personnel things they've done this offseason. A defensive end from uh, Hawaii who who came here last year and and played as a pass rusher, he's moved inside and has – by the start of the season in September, their hope is he'll have put on 40 pounds this offseason. So even among the returners, there, there's plenty of flash and excitement among the newcomers. But the, the guys who are back, they're doing interesting things with they're getting um, further along than they were last year. I mean, that, that's where you hear it from, from Todd Bates on someone like Isaiah Coe uh, and, and making him a more vertical player or, or Jordan Kelly, uh, you know, using his length and size that would be where just another year of coaching and another another year of time in this defense, um, a defensive system and a coaching staff that was so successful at Clemson, them getting more time uh, with the guys who are back, I think might be just as important as it is, you know, who they've added and what those guys are going to do. Okay. Let's add then Jordan Kelly and use him as the example. Is it a special, 
special is the wrong word. Is it the certain mentality and type of player like Jordan is? Because it seems to me like Jordan in his comments was very upfront and honest about, listen, I just didn't make enough plays. There's no question about that. And in that taking stock of the inventory in which I provided, I'm willing to be able to admit that. And because if he wasn't and wasn't that type of player, I don't think that he would still be on the roster right now. They're looking for those guys that are willing to take stock in what they provided and just how they didn't perform to a certain level. Is that fair to say in a case like Jordan Kelly, who by no means is ever going to just wow you, at least to me? Uh, I just think more than anything, he's maybe and has the ability to be an incredibly reliable player for them in that spot. I think that's a good way of putting it, and and that is what it was, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain that, you know, any guy who came back and was maybe given that inventory and, and told, here's what you've got to work on, here's what you need to be better at, uh, and, and maybe wasn't on board with it, probably would have, you know, hit the portal in December, January. Um, and, and But, you know, I'll give Jordan Kelly credit. He made some big plays late last year. He really felt like he came on in the final couple months of the season, so you could, you know, put some credit to him and perhaps some credit to this coaching staff on, on what they were pushing him to do. And, and so now you just project a whole other off season. And the reality that he's not going to have to be the guy. They've got uh, Jacob Lacey and Devon Sears coming in. Isaiah Coe will be there. There's a big hole to fill with Jalen Redmond, but no one guy is going to have to do that. And that's where if a guy like Jordan Kelly, who is experienced and, and perhaps improving from a year ago, is is in a better spot, and he's one of your four guys, let's say, in that position, they've got you know further, further depth down the, the two and three deep. But that's the kind of stuff they didn't have last year. I don't think they had confidence in their depth, and I, I think you saw that ultimately You know, late in games when we'd see that defense break down. And, and I think another example of this is Jonah Laulu, who was told uh, even during the fall last year they felt like he looked more comfortable in his movements from, from the inside, from up the middle. And when he decided to come back, I, he basically said he knew that was coming. And, and when they pitched it to him and said, do you want to move inside, he was all about it. So I, I do think that level of buy-in, for the guys coming back and, and maybe trying new things has been pretty important. Are there any names that keep kind of percolating to the top of the conversations right now? I mean, there's the the ones that you would expect, but are there maybe a few surprises right now that you just keep hearing them mentioned, Eli? Uh, well, maybe not a surprise, and, and no one needed to say it, but it was what we got to see with our own eyes the other day with Desan McCullough. He's been talked about so much. Uh, and, and talked about really in, in that, you know, cheetah role, which is all-encompassing. It might have him playing something closer to a free safety one down, something like a linebacker another, or, or playing up on the line. And uh, the other day, part of the practice session, we did get to see where these goal line drills and who came off the line to for a tackle for loss on at, you know at the one-yard line. I think it was technically a fourth and one. It was Desan McCullough, who just burst through. And it was one of those hits, you know, I wasn't watching him specifically, but I heard it. Uh, and you just saw the, the, you know, the reaction from the sideline. He, to me, feels like because of that versatility and the fact that maybe as much as we're talking about him as a contributor at, at Cheetah and in quote-unquote a, a position in the secondary, shouldn't forget that he spent a lot of his time last season at Indiana playing on a defensive line, and, and really he could be that impact guy um, that they've gotten. So I know we've talked a lot about him, but I, I, you know, we got to see it with our own two eyes there, uh, a pretty impressive uh, showing from him. Uh, a couple of final things here. It's been a uh, pretty pretty nice couple of weeks on the recruiting front too. They got another big quarterback commit uh, coming into the class, and I know that he was he was a hyped guy that has 
you know, the history of this father playing here as well, um, that things are on one and upward when it comes to Oklahoma recruiting even into the future. Yeah, I mean, they've got perhaps the quarterback of the future on campus now in Jackson Arnold, but the reality is uh, no matter who you have, it is if it wasn't the case before, it's the rule now in, in, in the transfer, transfer portal era, you've got to have a quarterback in every class. And so now the Sooners have 24 and 25 as things stand kind of locked up in Michael Hawkins for 24 and, and Kevin Sperry for 25. And probably the interesting note there, we talked a lot about this when uh, Emmett Jones, was onboarded and we heard from him the first time this spring, the roots that OU now has kind of in the DFW Metroplex and across Texas, all three quarterbacks, 23 class, 24 class, 25 class coming from that DFW. So they're clearly uh, making plenty of headway there. And, and, you know, it would be certainly concerning if they were struggling to, to add those QBs and get out in front of it. But they, they got, you know, the big one in Jackson Arnold and, and guys going behind them should tell you a little bit about how, how well they're recruiting and, and doing in certain parts of the country. Uh, basketball front. I feel like I have to ask here, uh, boy, there's been a lot of movement, hasn't there? I um, mean, this is going to look like, and we knew that this would be the case, but it's going to look like a completely diff- different roster there in Norman. Kind of a mixed bag because pop, I mean, uh, whether it's people you hear from or the people you on saw on Twitter, if in mid-February you could have told an OU fan who was upset about the way things were going that they would, have six open scholarships and seven guys from it from that team gone. They might have taken that, right? Yeah, no but doubt. At the same time, and at the same time, I'd say the only surprises, the big ones uh, from the the seven departures they've gotten. You know, there's eight with uh, with Tanner Groves, but he couldn't have come back. Jalen Hill would have been a guy. I don't know about a surprise, but that if he came back, that would have been a, a really strong returner. Grant Sherfield, same, but I, I think uh, things are pointing to at least a fifty fifty call, but. Um, the fact is they've lost a lot. Uh, I crunched the numbers on that and have a story in the Tulsa world today. Between the seven guys who could have returned, who have instead gone to the portal or entered the NBA draft or, or some combination, 60% of the minutes, 60% of the scoring, 45% of the rebounding that, that OU had a year ago. And if you add in Tanner Groves, that goes up to 75% of the scoring, 72% of the assists, 67% of the rebounding. They're replacing a lot here, and, and they're going to have to get active in the portal and uh, really be creative. But but I think the probably the big picture thing for me is that, um, and I don't know how much you could really pin on him, Porter Moser has made you know continuity and building something and having guys here for a few years and being in the system, the bedrock of his program. And, and here he is now for a third straight offseason having to really rebuild. So it, it's going to be a test of that and a test of uh, – get their resolve in the portal and, and team building to see where they can go. The most important question of all, though, is did you enjoy some nice family time? Couldn't have asked for much more. It was in a great week home in New York. Missed you guys. Hubbard stayed on me. We, we kept in touch. Uh, Just tell and, him to uh, leave you alone. The- like, it's okay, Eli. You can be like, dude, <laughs> I'm home. Like, stop bothering me. It's okay. Well, here's what I heard. I heard you've hopped on a workout kick since I've been gone, and you're pumping out push-ups in between segments listen i'm trying to better myself <laughs> yes there's there's no doubt that's that that is what i'm doing yeah so i i've started i, I increased by five a day i've kind of blown that off though and now i'm just i'm trying to i basically knock out uh as many as i can in a day i think yesterday i think i did 230 overall but i split them up like all all the different types during the day 
that's yeah. that's good. And I'll say this: uh, whatever resolution I missed uh, in January about eating better, working out, whatever has has come for me this week after some time in New York, eating, doing holiday eating, just all the eating. Um, it caught up <laughs> to me. So it's all about the smoothies. I've eaten a lot of spinach this week, and I'm I'm getting myself to the gym because it it hit me. That's right. Yep. It's look. It's patio and flip flop season, baby. And the last thing you want to do is be rolling around with the baloney hanging off of your chest or around your belt. So yeah, it's it's time to uh, it's it's time to ship up or or ship out. And I am uh, I'm done with feeling this way. So yeah, that's why I started to do it. Hey man, good to have you back. Appreciate it. Glad you got to spend some time with the family, and uh, always enjoy your contributions here on the program. Absolutely. Talk soon. See ya. That is uh, Eli Letterman. Awesome young writer for the Tulsa World joining us here on the Blitz 1170. We will take a timeout live from the Ike Chili House studio serving four generations of Tulsa since 1908 here on the Blitz 1170. Don't forget, we've got ORU, well, excuse me, I'm sorry, West Virginia and Oklahoma State coming up Friday. That's the series opener at 530 here on the Blitz. Saturday's a 530 game as well. And then Sunday at 1230, the final game in that series on April 16th here on your home for the Oklahoma State Cowboys baseball conference games the blitz 1170 thank you for listening to this exclusive blitz 1170 podcast from bravado wireless